What's up, everybody? How are you guys doing? We're just talking about vomit. Lots of lots of vomit. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about vomit, listeners? Love it. What's hate your stance? It. <laughs> What's your stance on vomit? <laughs> <laughs> to make vomit controversial. Let's make vomit great again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, don't do that. Um, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm Catholic and I'm very sick. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm a witch and I'm just tired because I didn't sleep last night. Yeah, so we're a real power couple today. Mm-hmm. We're going to get through it together, though. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. Um, today, I've got kind of a wacky character that I'm pretty excited about. I love wacky characters. They are my favorite. My sister finally got to witness me in like a little bit of writing mode yesterday. She was my ride back home to um, see family for the 4th Mm -hmm. of July. And we drove past. um, I ended up putting it in a poem because it was just really cool. Yes, I stopped writing the podcast yesterday to write a poem out of nowhere. Overachiever. <laughs> we were driving back, and of course, you know, fireworks everywhere, cornfields, sunset, all of that. We drove past this Lutheran church, um, just in the middle of all of these cornfields, and they have a neon red cross just oh, over God. the top of the church in the dark with fireworks. And there was a county sheriff sitting in the parking lot. I'm like, this is awesome. I have to sit here. I have to jot this down. Um, so I whipped out my phone and I just started plugging like all of these little uh, details into mm-hmm. my phone. And my sister's just kind of staring at me. I'm like, I've got to like take a picture. I've got to get like all of the interesting things down so that yeah. I can like get this stuff in here later. Um, and I don't know. It was just, I think it was kind of weird for her to see me like switch from just like chatting to being in like total professional mode well you have to do that when you get the inspiration because it doesn't happen very often that you encounter something like that that makes you like so excited at least for me that doesn't happen very often so like I have to do the same thing but (laughs) when I do it I'll go back to the note in my phone or whatever and it'll just say like ice cream in the glove box or something <laughs> I'll be like why did I feel the need to write that, <laughs> to write that? what does I, it mean yeah <laughs> I have to try that's one of the reasons that I take um pictures when I can so that I remember what I was talking about yeah but I, I try and do it with like people too because I run into a lot of wacky people especially around Carbondale um like that man who wore the um, American flag pants, the fur vest, and had the foot long like crucifix, and he was just yelling <laughs> at passing cars. Like those are the kinds of people that I just make note of because they will live on. Just, yeah, they will. That is a Carbondale person for sure. One hundred percent not exist anywhere else other than this weird little town. Yeah, it's hard to explain to people who like haven't been there or stayed there for longer than a few days just like like I used to see this girl all the time driving around with her foot like on propped up her bare foot propped up like on the driver's side window just every time just just chilling like that and then the the cereal pooper and the puncher 
both of them and all the Mennonites and what a weird place that, that person who walks around with the the big old cross on their shoulder like they're Jesus through town have you seen that person nope sure haven't it's they like big huge cross like Jesus the bottom's got little wheels on it so it like pulls but oh, they'll just that's walk cheating. Down with <laughs> what a cheater I've seen them like twice um it's always really interesting when they cross like main street and it's like a fucking tuesday <laughs> jesus <laughs> what He's, are like, you waiting for the lights to change <laughs> okay green light carry on <laughs> <laughs> make sure you look full face jesus oh my god what the fuck i don't know yeah who knows who's to say Who's to say? Anyway, where the, <laughs> where, the, where the hell are we this week, Sarah? Um, Besides you... uh, 1950 in America. <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. I mean, ridiculous. Um, so today, I think you said Germany, right? Or Holy yes. Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also there awesome. um, in the 17th century as well. Awesome. And I've got a Jesuit. Well, we, we're going to have a ton of overlap then. I know. I'm that's excited. why I texted you. I was like, is this your guy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, guess who? Because <laughs> he was like, he is sort of like six degrees of separation away from a lot of witchy things. So mm-hmm. I was like, I could see a world where, or I could see like you choosing him. Yeah, but. there's like three people that I mentioned that are witchy guys who are also Jesuits, but they're like, just happened to go to like school to be Jesuits but mostly did this other stuff right yeah and that's kind of what my guy is but yeah okay should we start yeah I'm excited (laughs) let's go So I wrote to start with that my ability to focus diminishes every single day that I am outside the school system. Mm. Um, It gets worse and worse as we go on. Um, I thought that this episode would be really short due to my inability to focus, but I did make myself stay up super late and didn't sleep. So um, it's longer than I thought it would be. Um, But the, this trial just has a lot of background information that kept turning my brain into television static. And that's one of the reasons I had a really hard time like getting started with it. Mm-hmm. It was just so much stuff that I was panicking, looking at all of it, and I didn't know how to wrap my head around it. And so I would just freeze and do something else. Yeah, I know what that feels like. Yes. Um, And then on the actual like trial itself, there wasn't like huge amounts of information. Um, Despite it being like this massive record setting trial, um, there aren't a ton of books or articles out there, at least not freely available or not freely available in English. Um, Most of what I found, I pulled from works about other German trials that are linked to this one. There's like a series of German trials. I've talked about another one already. or I pulled information from German Wikipedia and I Google translated it because I found out like halfway through my research that uh, German Wikipedia has like five times as much information as English Wikipedia on all of these entries. Whoa, I wonder what else that's true for. I wonder like, 
I've found out on accident it happens sometimes for French trials because I, I wandered onto French Wikipedia once. I'm like, what the fuck? This is like a <laughs> way more information than I just said in the podcast episode. Yeah. It's all oh, right damn. here. Damn. Yeah. So sometimes like maybe just hop over to like the <laughs> native language because the people who write it in English are just like, hmm, what if we just do the bare minimum? It's like you assholes. I feel silly not having considered that. It is um, kind of hard to get over there. Um, I got lucky in that uh, one of the pages that I was on referenced German Wikipedia down at the very bottom. Mm -hmm. And so I just hopped over to it that way. And I just kept following all of the links that way and just got myself through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, big uh, like language curve because of all the translating. So give me a little bit of a, a room for error, um, please. Always do. <laughs> <laughs> do that when it's in English too. Um, <laughs> yep. Just always assume I'm going to fuck up at least one thing. It's okay. You're perfect to me. <laughs> uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, I appreciate that. I think this fever is making me a little loopy. It's okay. It warmed my heart a little bit. I'll take it from Sarah. Oh. <laughs> um, the trial that I'm talking about today is the Würzburg trial. Um, I've mentioned it a couple of times already, um, and it's part of a series of German trials, one of which I've already done an entire episode on, the Bomberg trials, which started in 1626. Um, the Würzburg and Bomberg trials are contemporary. The Würzburg trials running from 1626 to 1631. Um, Bomberg, if you remember, is famous for the letter that accused Johannes Unius wrote to his daughter and had smuggled out. That was like super heartbreaking. It really was. was. Tortured. Yeah. Um, I recommend hitting that episode. I think it's episode 40. I say what it is later, but I think it's episode 40. It's a really good episode just in general. Um, Würzburg is famous for the staggering number of people that were murdered in a five-year span, um, and that's a number that I will reveal later, um, mostly so that you have to stick around and listen to me drone about a bunch of shit. <laughs> um, I don't want to get too deep into the background of the area or time period because, like I said, it made my head spin these last couple of weeks, um, but it has everything that you would expect. It has bad weather, crop failures, religious turmoil, warring that brought famine and plague. Um, Germany is building up in the early 1600s to the Thirty Years' War. Um, we have the rise of Protestantism in the area. We have, uh, I don't even know how to say this, I just wrote it a million times, um, and I read it a million times, um, re-Catholicization, uh make germany catholic again mm, missions yeah 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 <laughs> for sure <laughs> um the edict of restitution that among other things says protestants have to give catholic their land back which um kicked protestants off of a whole bunch of land they weren't super happy about that um you have the forming of the evangelical union and the catholic league which um is super funny i didn't read a whole bunch about it but it's just like these two like religious unions fighting with each other that's great yeah makes sense um 
You have people kicking people out of towns if they don't convert religions. You have people defenestrating people, which I totally forgot about. Oh, yeah. Um, and then had myself a good old chuckle about once I remembered so much defenestrating. There's a lot of defenestrating happening. <laughs> I talk about that, too, in mine. And I'm also just generally excited because my guy has a connection to these trials. He does? Yeah. I mean, oh, a vague, yay. sort of a vague connection, but it's I'm there. I'm still excited. Yeah. I'm super excited. <laughs> um, anyway, everything's a mess wherein certain people in charge take it upon themselves to cleanse their areas and return them to godly states. Um, the first guy I'm going to talk about is a man named Julius Eschler von Mespelbrunn, um, the second son of a fancy guy named Peter Eschler von Mespelbrunn. Um, Julius has four brothers and four sisters. They all grow up to be relatively important people like Daddy Dearest. Um, but the one of note beyond Julius is his sister, Marguerite. Um, she will become the mother to our next principal character, the man who sits over the top of the Würzburg trials. For now, we have Julius, who lays the groundwork for the Würzburg trials. Um, Julius grows up in Mespelbrunn Palace, if that's any indication of his family's status. Excuse the fuck out of me. <laughs> I do have photos of it. I don't know if I'm going to end up posting them or not because we actually do have some like portraits of uh, this family um, for once. So I may end up posting those instead. Um, Julius is taught by tutors. Eventually he'll become a student of the church and a Jesuit. Um, he goes to Jesuit school in Cologne um, and he will travel extensively before settling back in Germany and taking up both church and government positions, um, which makes him an ideal candidate for the position of Prince Bishop of Würzburg in 1573. Mm. We've talked about Prince Bishops on the show before pretty heavily. Um, these men who have both secular and ecclesiastical rule over an area. Um, sometimes those areas are the same sometimes they kind of overlap but like a diocese and like the general area they rule aren't necessarily exactly the same mm -hmm. it can be kind of like a venn diagram right um uh, run is actually elected before he's ordained a priest i think he's elected like two years before he's a priest uh, Mespelbrunn is known for a few things, like kicking nearly 100,000 people out of their homes for refusing to convert to Catholicism. Mm. Um, love that for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also reestablishes the University of Würzburg, um, its oldest university, which fell into ruin. Um, didn't write it down. I think it was established in like the 1400s and then it lost a lot of its backing and its financing um and then he's just like let's start that back up but only catholics can go <laughs> oh boy okay <laughs> pretty for him right <laughs> um he also established the i really don't know how to say this i think it's Juliuspital. it's like his name and hospital squished together oh boy. um so it's a hospital with his name on it um, I think he built it on top of a Jewish cemetery. Which... Oh my God. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like at the time, it was meant to be a good thing because he was like really invested in like what was going on in the area and people having access to like healthcare. Mm -hmm. He was very invested in like the poor and stuff like this. So he's like, it's like a hospital. Good. People have access to this. But the fact that he put it on the Jewish cemetery. <laughs> it's, I mean, he chose that on purpose. Yeah. It's like, you did good, 
but you did bad. I think you you just canceled it out. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a wash. Yeah, it's like with the university. It's like you reestablish the university, but like saying that like Catholics can only go there. But it's segregated. Yeah. Yeah. You're, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. You're almost there. (laughs) Making some interesting choices. Yeah. Um, Information I got regarding witch trials during his reign was initially very split when I started reading about it. um, And I was also getting it translated. So it was kind of confusing me. It said that his reign by one source was execution free from 1573 to 1600, but by other sources, his reign, which does stretch to 1617, his death, um, saw the execution of over 200 witches. Um, And that was the only information I had for like a week. Um, And I was kind of left to decide myself if sources differed on interpretation of the records, some of which are admittedly anti-Catholic. So it's like Mesplebrun burns witches all of the time, that horrible Catholic man. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if these executions happened in the last 17 years of his reign, um, 1600 to 1617. Um, And I don't know why he was in charge that long, just as an aside. Like he started the job in his 20s and he ruled into his 70s. Um, it's just too long. It's I mean, too much, too much power for the white man. Um, this sounds like Congress too. So yeah, there's term that. limits. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, like, um, why do we still have the same system as the 17th century German aristocracy? Like, <laughs> it's silly. I don't know. We need to get rid of our, our Congress. We need to get rid of our Supreme Court. It's too many old We need people. to get rid of our fucking Constitution. It's also old. It's the people so... who wrote the Constitution were like, this should be updated ever so many years. And we we're mm-hmm. like, nah, let's just stick to this. For let's forever. just keep this decrepit old crusty ass <laughs> document. <laughs> it's not like we'll change as a country. Not well, that's the thing they don't they don't want anything to change I know anyway anyway um I resigned myself to not knowing what the fuck was going on until I stumbled upon some information on German Wikipedia under the history of Würzburg um, page saying that quote and this is translated um, the highlight of the persecutions of his reign were the years 1616 and 1617 the stakes blazed all Hochstift Würzburg, especially in Gerritshofen. In the years after 1616, more than 260 people were burned there in specially built combustion furnaces to cope with the large number of executions. In 1616, a newspaper reported on the witch burnings there. On the 11th of June, 1617, Jakob Ruder noted in his diary that in the sermon from the pulpit, it had been announced that 300 people had been burned as witches in Würzburg within a year. Because of his ruthless and persistent way of persecuting witches, Julius Eschter is often referred to as a witch butcher. Jeez. Um, so I guess that's where the number comes from. I don't know why in like the last two years he was uh, kicking and just decided to murder a bunch of people, but um, I think I he mean, was senile perhaps. Probably it, being in your 70s back then, you were probably pretty, you, you had a lot going on in your brain, I would think. 
Yeah, he was uh, he was in his 70s. Um, we're in like the two years right before the 30 years war. I think it was a bad mixture of things. He just randomly murdered a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's kind of what leads us all up into this. Um, okay. At the same time that like these 300 witches are being burnt, a man named Johann Gottfried von Aschhausen um, Prince Bishop of Bomberg is killing about 300 witches in his area. Um, and this is notable because when Julius kicks the bucket right as the 30 years war begins, Oshhausen takes over for him. Um, so he's now Prince Bishop of both Würzburg and Bomberg. Mm. Oshhausen is succeeded in Würzburg by Messelbrunn's nephew, by that sister that I like offhand mentioned, Marguerite, earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the nephew is a boy named Philip Adolf von Ehrenberg, who I'll get back to. Um, Oshhausen is succeeded in Bomberg by Johann Georg Fuchs von Dornheim, that guy known as the Hexenbrenner or Hexenbischof, mm, yeah. uh, which burner, which bishop, respectively. Um, Jen, hold things on him before. Um, we also have over Bavaria at this time, Maximilian I, who you call Million. Million. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Max is the Duke of Bavaria during the Poppenheimer trial from episode 10. He's the Elector of Bavaria during the 1626 Bomberg trial from episode 40 that's running at the same time. Max, related to the Emperor at this time, also has a brother named Ferdinand, a Prince Bishop, who is in charge of Liège uh, during the Belgian spa trials I talked about in episode 9. So everything is super connected. Yeah. Um, everything will continue to be connected whenever I swing back to discuss discuss. Uh, more trials in this series Um, there are like four or five German trials that are happening kind of at the same time and Würzburg and Bomberg are just two of them Um, so everyone knows everybody and uh, almost everything is like related it overlaps it's just a mess Mm -hmm. every time I read it about I'm like haven't I already talked about you (laughs) haven't I done an episode on you and then I like look up their name in like my google doc and I'm like oh I've mentioned you like seven times I haven't done an episode on you but you featured a million times right um anyway back to Julius's nephew Philip Adolf um Never trust an Adolf, because word to the wise. <laughs> yeah. Like life advice. Um, <laughs> never trust an Adolf like you should never trust a Chad or a Trevor. Um, or what are the names? Kyle. Kyle. Yeah. Never trust a Kyle. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many names. Um, <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings about like Braxton, too. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a Braxton. Maybe they're all too young so far. They're young, but them. they. They give me feelings. <laughs> then not good ones. No. <laughs> Liz's face was so serious when she said no. No. Absolutely not. Just my hometown. Like, they're just families that name their kids all of those weird, like, made-up bullshit names with yeah. all of, like, the Sins and the Lins mm-hmm. and the blah, blah, blah. It's like, I just know that those kids are going to be demons. <laughs> They're going to torture kids in high school. Yes, for sure. Anyway, um, Philip Adolf, who I'm calling Phil because that feels right to me, mm. um, apparently thinks that his uncle is the shit he follows in his footsteps. He's 
Prince Bishop, he pushes Catholic reform. He says bye-bye to witches. Um, there was an isolated trial in 1625. I don't remember how many people it killed. I just know that it was its own thing. Um, but by 1626, the Wurzburg trials are in full swing. Um, what's unique about the Wurzburg trials is not just their size, but the fact that they span class, age, and religion. Um, in past episodes, we've seen trials where women were targeted or men or widows or the poor or vagrants or Catholics or foreigners, um, where like it may have been a couple of things, but like statistically, this was the largest group. Mm -hmm. um, this time, everyone is up for grabs. Literally everybody. It is a free for all in Würzburg. Oh my God. So scary. Yes, um, I have a letter from the Hanover Project online, um, which I've used before. Um, I can't remember what I used it for. I just know I've used it before. Um, they post HTML versions of documents from history, like the Salem witch trials and so on. Um, I think I remember you talking about them before. Yeah, I think they also posted like uh, Johannes Unius's letter. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they have uh, court documents, they have uh, letters, not just for witches, but um, uh, like books and things too. Um, it's an interesting little database. Uh, I just like the fact that it's like accessible, it's free. Mm -hmm. um, this is a surviving letter about the Wurzburg trials written um, August 1629. Um, it's a little long and I um, am illiterate, so bear with me. <laughs> understood <laughs> quote as to the affair of the witches which your grace thinks brought to an end before this it has started up afresh and no words can do justice to it ah the woe and misery of it there is still 400 in the city high and low of every rank and sex nay even clerics so strongly accused that they may be arrested at any hour it is true that of the people my gracious prince here some out of all offices and faculties must be executed clerics, electoral counselors and doctors, city officials, court assessors, several of whom your grace knows. There are law students to be arrested. The Prince Bishop has over 40 students who are soon to be pastors. Among them, 13 or 14 are said to be witches. A few days ago, a dean was arrested. Two others who were summoned have fled. The notary of our church consistory, a very learned man, was yesterday arrested and put to the torture. In a word, a third part of the city is surely involved. The richest, most attractive, most prominent of the clergy are already executed. A week ago, a maiden of 19 was executed, of whom it is everywhere said that she was the fairest in the whole city, and was held by everybody a girl of singular modesty and purity. She will be followed by seven or eight others of the best and most attractive persons, and thus many are put to death for renouncing God and being at the witch dances, against whom nobody has ever else spoken a word. To conclude this wretched matter, there are children of three and four years to the number of 300 who are said to have intercourse with the devil. I have seen put to death children of seven, promising students of 10, 12, 14, and 15 of the nobles, but I cannot and must not write more of this misery. There are persons of yet higher rank whom you know and would marvel to hear of, nay, would scarcely believe it. Let justice be done. P.S. Though there are many wonderful and terrible things happening, it is beyond doubt that at a place called the Frauenberg, the devil in person with 8,000 of his followers held an assembly and celebrated mass before them all, administering to his audience, that is the witches, turnip rinds and parings in a place 
in place of the Holy Eucharist. There took place not only foul, but most horrible and hideous blasphemies, whereof I shudder to write. It is also true that they all vowed not to be enrolled in the Book of Life, but all agreed to be inscribed by a notary who was well known to me and my colleagues. We hope, too, that the book in which they are enrolled will yet be found, and there is no little search being made for it, end quote. Oh my gosh, seven-year-olds. Three and four-year-olds. Oh my gosh. Yeah, um, I didn't write it down, but I read it that um, they were being taken out of uh, like schools and orphanages and stuff. Um, yeah. And the part about the like, oh, the prettiest girl in town was executed. At first I was like, what does that have to do with anything? But then I was like, pretty people get away with everything. So like if she was executed, like that would be like someone executing like Miss Universe, like and then saying that it's gonna be followed by other attractive people. Right. And now all of like the top supermodels are just gonna like get their heads cut off. Like, can you imagine? Yeah, how scary that would be. Students, we're killing our kids, we're killing our clerics, we're killing our pretty people, we're killing our vagrants, we're killing everybody. Nobody is safe. We're literally murdering everyone. Jeez. But I mean, the the letter is interesting because like there's just a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. Um, Like one, you just kind of can't imagine living in the middle of something like that. Like everyone, you know, just around you being killed. I mean, you go to school, your people who sit in the desk over from you got killed yesterday Mm -hmm. you go home your neighbor was killed yesterday you babysit you find out the the three-year-old you're supposed to babysit got burned yesterday oh wait now the family that you babysit for is all being burned because of their three-year-old yeah I mean it's just wild but then also like the author of the letter sounds so horrified and yet believes in all of and, it at but the believes same time. In it. yeah and it's like yeah we're gonna track down all of these people from this town um yeah. and this person this notary um like yeah it sucks but it's totally true oh my god um anyway Torture is kind of unchecked in Würzburg, and as few as two people can accuse you and get you condemned, um, and it's really hard to um, prove yourself innocent. Because of this, around 900 people burn in Würzburg by the year 1631. Um, added to the executions inflicted on the area by Muskelbrunn, and over a thousand people were murdered in Würzburg between 1616 and 1631. Jeez which means that Würzburg is famous not just for like the sheer number of people like across class religion and everything that it killed um, but it's famous for like the size of its trials Mm. um this like there isn't a complete register of the draft the deaths in Würzburg, but there is a register before they stopped reporting victims. One of the reasons they don't have a specific number is they kind of have to estimate after they just stopped keeping track of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you can read this register um, that they kept before they stopped um, writing everything down online. Um, but I want to excerpt this register because I'm not easily affected and it still made me ill. Um, the register is grouped by fire, um, who burned in each fire. 
um, and the victims are largely nameless. Um, here are just a few of the victims. In the 13th burning, four persons, the old smith of the court, an old woman, a little girl, nine or 10 years old, a younger girl, her little sister. In the 14th burning, two persons, the mother of the two little girls before mentioned, Liebler's daughter, aged 24 years. In the 15th burning, two persons, a boy of 12 years of age in the first school, the butcher's wife. In the 19th burning, six persons, a noble page of Rottenham was beheaded at six o'clock in the chancellor's yard and burnt the following day. The wife of the secretary, a woman, a boy 10 years of age, another boy 12 years old, Brugler's wife, a symbol player, was burnt alive. In the 20th burning, six persons, Goebel's child, the most beautiful girl in Würzburg, a student on the fifth form who knew many languages and was an excellent musician, two boys from the new minister, each 12 years old, Stepper's little daughter, the woman who kept the bridge gate. In the 24th burning, seven persons, two boys in the hospital, a rich cooper, Lauren Stuber, vicar, Botts, vicar, Lawrence Roth, vicar, a woman named Rosalind Martin. In the 26th burning, seven persons, David Hans, Cannon, Weidenbusch, a senator, the innkeeper's wife of the Baumgarten, an old woman, the little daughter of Wolfenberger was privately executed and burnt. The little son of the town council bailiff, Herr Wagner, vicar in the cathedral, was burnt alive. In the 28th burning, after Candlemas, 1629, six persons, the wife of Nertz, the butcher, the infant daughter of Dr. Schultz, a blind girl, Schwartz, canon at Hock, Eiling, a vicar, Bernhardt Mark, vicar in the cathedral, was burnt alive. Jeez. Yeah. Just then, day after day after day. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I excerpted. There's like a hundred and it's like 157 or something people um, on this register. Um, and most of them don't have names. A lot of them are just vagrant, strange woman, strange man, little girl, little boy, wife mm -hmm. of so and so. Yeah. But like the sheer number of like children on the list kind of got to me. And the the last one is just the fact that like after Candlemas, it's like mm -hmm. after the holiday. Yeah. We burned a baby and a blind girl. Right. Candlemas, the holiday that is about the Virgin Mary's return to church after the birth of Jesus. Yeah. Now let's execute some babies. Yeah. Fun. And set a vicar on fire alive. Neat. <laughs> Christian spirit. <laughs> no hate like Christian love. <sighs> it's just fucked up. Yeah. And then uh, the fact that they just gave up writing, writing, making this list after a while. And they didn't even try to begin with. Even the first ones, they there was no attempt to like put people's names down. Very yeah. little attempt. Even these people who were like uh, counselor so-and-so, it's like you didn't even write their name down, whether they were rich, whether they were poor, whether they owned right. a business. Like nobody gets names. We don't wow. care. We burn so many people. Yeah, that's so scary. 
It's, I don't know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Jesuit, Friedrich Spee, who spoke out against what was happening because, um, because of the events of, uh, he was a confessor um, at the Würzburg trials um, and the confessions that he heard and what was happening did prematurely turn his hair white. Um, Yeah, it was just so horrible. Um, He's quoted as saying, um, torture has the power to create witches where none exist, as well as um, many people who incite the Inquisition so vehemently against sorcerers in their towns and villages are not at all aware and do not notice or foresee that once they have begun to clamor for torture, every person tortured must denounce several more. The trials will continue, so eventually the denunciations will inevitably reach them and their families, since, as I warned above, no end will be found until everyone has been yep um he writes a damning book called cascio criminalis calling for um he calls for a lot of things um like witches to have lawyers he says if it's this important where somebody's life is at stake they should have legal defense mm-hmm. um he exposes things like sexual assault he calls for um he calls out famous authors because they base their beliefs on fables and um torture Um, He goes on and on about the absurdity of, uh, quote, the tortured person was innocent, in which case she had no accomplices or she was really in league with the devil in which her denunciations could not be trusted at all, Um, which pretty much means that uh, you prove that this woman is in league with like this lying serpent, the devil, that she's been lying like her whole life. But then you suddenly tell us that we're supposed to believe every single word that comes out of her mouth and every accomplice that she gives us. He's like, you have to pick one. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't make any sense what you're saying. That's a really good point, dude. Yeah. So he goes, he just sits there and picks apart like everything that he possibly can for these people, just lays it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Speed publishes this book anonymously. Um, and I don't even think he initially wanted to publish it. I think somebody took it from him and published it anonymously because like it would have gotten him in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, it's published in 1631 in a Protestant city, literally have to take it somewhere else mm-hmm. and publish it. Um, it's very influential for its time. Um, and Speed's just a neat person. I didn't read a whole lot about him, but, um, it reminds me about some people you've talked about before. I think there was an attempted assassination on him, and I think he dies um, taking care of uh, like soldiers, and he gets uh, like infected. He gets sick, and that's how he dies. Mm. Um, so yeah, like gives his life to take care of like ailing people. I've never heard of him, and I mean, there's probably a reason for that. Like. Mm-hmm. Because learning about him would be learning about something so awful that the church participated in. Yeah. So that's probably why he's not held up in like higher regard. It's because, oh, well, he was a great guy and he did great things, but he makes us look really bad. (laughs) So, yeah, I had never heard of him before but I'm interested in him. I'd like to know more about him. He was a poet. I think he was a a professor too. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. he's pretty interesting insofar as um, I read about him um, in relation to this trial. 
um, back to Würzburg. Um, why did the trial stop in 1631? Um, because Philip Adolf dies in that year um, and the Swedish army sweeps in and occupies the area that year. Um, had either of those things not happened, um, I think the burnings may have continued. Um, the emperor did publicly condemn the trials in 1630, but obviously the burnings were still happening in 1631. So mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if the public condemning did much. Mm. Um, but that is the story of the Würzburg trials of 1626 to 1631. What a fucking bummer. Yeah. <laughs> A major bummer. Um, but I do think that like it's important to see those cases of the church doing something so bad, but that there still are people within it that are like talking about it and not just going along with everything. Mm -hmm. I think that is very relevant today when we have these like really scary things happening and um you know people are either making the choice of just like going along with everything as normal like still going to church on Sundays still like pretending to participate and then people who just decide like oh I'm I'm not gonna go to church anymore but I'm also not gonna say anything or try and speak out or like talk to my priest or like any of that I don't know it's just like there's got to be good people somewhere yeah and it's interesting <laughs> that somebody like um, Friedrich like clearly stayed with the church and continued to do like good like altruistic work mm -hmm. while speaking out against the institution that he remained a part of right um so yeah, it's it's interesting that he made the decision to, you know, like stick with the faith and stick with what he was doing mm -hmm. um, while criticizing it at the same time. Yeah. Which yeah. is commendable, I think. I mean, because yeah, two things can be true at the same time. Two opposing things can be true. Mm -hmm. The church can be good and it can be evil at the same time. The very, like the exact same time. Yeah. so and sometimes man. you you need the people we've talked about it so many times that you need the people who stick there who are going to try to reform it instead of everybody just jumping ship and leaving it to sink to leaving it to crazy people basically yeah. <laughs> and stupid people like let's be honest like dumb ignorant psychopaths psychopaths <laughs> yeah mm-hmm Sometimes, Who, sometimes we just gotta get the ship back and kick the psychopaths off, off the side of the ship. That would be great. I would love to do that. <laughs> We're trying. It's tough. And it's, it's been really tough these past few weeks, like, just with like, you know, people who I really admired and respected growing up, people who were my, you know, Sunday school teachers fuck man it's always really hard whenever something like this happens in america because we had um you know the shooting down in texas and then we have roe versus wade and of course my family is um very um republican very conservative so um 
like I've had to listen to a lot of things that it's like I love my family but I don't love the way that my family thinks and it's really hard to deal with sometimes because you grow up and like these people are your whole world yeah and then you get older and it's like I I don't agree with you yeah and the way that you think about people and the way that you treat people and it breaks my heart a little bit right yeah I heard someone say that um you know trying to like understand the conservative perspective someone said that like you know when your world is really small it's comforting that like when the outside world makes itself smaller for you like when when your your personal life is sort of like away from other people who are different than you then it feels good when like those people are systematically excluded in other ways so it's really easy for me to understand um conservative arguments because I grew up with those arguments and I mean in a lot of ways I grew up conservative and I had to like cast that aside um as I started figuring out who I was so Mm -hmm. um like it's very easy for me to kind of adopt those mindsets and to see where people are coming from but at the same time um because it's so easy for me to like step back from that and see it from a different point of view that's why I get frustrated whenever my family can't do the same thing right that's where my frustration lies it's like I can totally see where you're coming from Mm -hmm. and empathize with your point of view but you are entirely incapable of empathizing from my point of view right and that is a choice Mm-hmm. Like it, that's an active choice that people are making to refuse to learn and to try and empathize. So like, yeah, and I mean, at a because certain you point, have to assume a lot of responsibility at that point. Yeah. Um, as a person, um, accepting that like you've done things wrong, your family has done things wrong. You've not uh, always had pretty thoughts about mm. things. Um, and it, it sucks to admit that you haven't always been the greatest person. Right. Um, and some people really uh, can't do that work with themselves. It's too scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It would change their entire world, which of course is what happened to us when we, you know, started learning and, but like, yeah, it, some people just aren't ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to do it every single day. I mean, oh, yeah. there's still things that I challenge myself on every single day. There are things that I'm still challenging myself on every single day that I hit walls with something and it's like, all right, we're going to come back to this tomorrow. We're going to read comments online. We're going to watch some videos. Mm-hmm. We're going to see if at some point I can find some argument, some way that I can get over this uh, like wall that I'm hitting. Yeah. Um, because I've been hitting this wall for years and I don't want to hit it. Yeah. <sighs> it's exhausting. <laughs> it, it's very exhausting. Life would be very easy if you could just close your eyes and lean your head back. Um, but yeah. you can. I plan on doing that for a little bit later today. <laughs> <laughs> You're sick. You're allowed. 
You can oh, pretend thanks. that nothing bad is happening for a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll see what my dreams have to say about that. <laughs> like your your stress dreams. My stress dreams all night. Yeah. Oh my God. And I slept with my phone on my chest because I was in the middle of working on the podcast. So every time it buzzed with a notification, it freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> Oh no. I just wake up and there's like light on the ceiling from my phone lit up. It's like buzzing on my stomach. You're like, God? God? Aliens? Is that you? Are you here? Is this a message? (laughs) Yeah. Coming to get you. Oh, teach me about your wacky Jesuit now. Okay, I will. So yeah, like I said, I went with 17th century Germany and Jesuits, and I found this guy who has been called the master of a hundred arts, the last Renaissance man, and a giant among 17th century scholars. The only problem is most of his ideas and writings were wrong. (laughs) 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 Which is the best kind of of scholar (laughs) he did so much but most of it was wrong but he's a man so he did it confidently (laughs) he sure did yeah (laughs) um so this is the german jesuit priest and polymath athanasius kircher um i cobbled together that pronunciation from a few different sites who all pronounced it um a little bit differently I'm sure his last name is probably pronounced like Kierker or something, but um, I'm not going to be able to keep that up. So um, I'm going to go with Kircher. Um, he's not a saint, um, but he was said to be a pious man. And um, he's just like fascinating and hilarious to me. He wrote about 40 books on all kinds of subjects optics, acoustics, linguistics, mathematics, cryptology, Egyptology, numerology, all of it. Um, He also wrote an autobiography, but I couldn't find it online and definitely not in English. So I used a full length biography of him um, by John Glassy titled, A Man of Misconceptions, The Life of an Eccentric in an Age of Change. Um, There was also a good essay uh, collection about him called Athanasius Kircher, The Last Man Who Knew Everything, Um, and that was edited by Paula Findlin. Um, So let's start at the beginning. Athanasius was born in 1602 on the eve of the beginning of the Fulda Witch Trials, which I don't want to get into too much. That's another one of the series. Yep. Um... So yeah, I didn't want to get into that too much, but they were one of the four largest uh, witch trials in Germany, at least from what I read. Um, Another of the four was Bomberg, um, which you brought up already with Johannes Unius. Um, Anyway, in the Fulda witch trials, about 250 people were executed. Again, who knows how accurate that is. Um, the Kircher family lived in Geisa in the principality of Fulda, and it was about a three-hour walk to the city where the trials were happening. The trials don't really feature in this story, but they do make the circumstances of Athanasius' birth um, more interesting. 
um, and they, uh, and the tensions between Protestants and Catholics that played a role in the trials is definitely relevant to our story. So about the family, um, Athanasius's father had been employed by a Catholic magistrate um, and he had a really sweet job, um, but he had been thrown out of this position by like basically an angry mob of Lutherans who were frustrated by the magistrates um, attempt to re-Catholicize uh, the area. Um, so in 1602, Right around the time of Athanasius's birth, his father was finally reinstated at that position. Um, it had been 26 years, but he finally got his nice cushy job back. So there was a feeling of hope in the family. Um, they were a Catholic family in the midst of a vastly like Protestant or Protestantizing region. Um, so, Athanasius's birth contributed to this feeling of hope. He was also the ninth child, and he was born near the feast day of St. Athanasius, who was a Greek church father um, who had been exiled for defending the faith against heretics. So that name choice was very symbolic for the family um, in their view. You know, the father being reinstated at his job was just proof that like God was on the side of Catholics and like now we have a new baby. We're going to name him after the church father who fought against heretics, uh, the whole deal. Um, the name Athanasius means immortal and their surname means church. So this poor infant is named immortal church. <laughs> Pretty intense. <laughs> A lot going on for him. Um, of course, the flip side of this hope was the shit show of the witch trials that Athanasius's father's employer presided over, which were horrific, of course. Um, like I said, an estimated 250 people were executed, and this went on until the magistrate finally died. <laughs> it took the death of the person presiding over the trial um to stop it and it after <laughs> oh really yeah I mean they're just like yeah let's just wait it out 10 years 20 years who knows let's just keep this going <laughs> my god um we're just having so, so much fun <laughs> this is the best <laughs> uh, yeah so after he died his administration was dissolved um, and that was around Athanasius's fourth birthday. So they went on for four years. Athanasius writes in his memoirs that as a child, he was already displaying a, quote, not ordinary aptitude for learning. This was attributed to his complexion. Um, he had darker skin and hair, which at the time was believed to be a sign of excess black bile, otherwise known as melancholia. Melancholic people were thought to be dreamy, pensive, and intellectual. Luckily for Athanasius, his father kept a vast library and taught his son music, Latin, and geography, and even hired a rabbi to teach him Hebrew. The biography, which quoted the memoir, had a nice passage here where it described all of um, the older siblings growing up and leaving the home either entering monasteries or being married off. And then there was just little Athanasius at home with his dad learning. It was kind of cute. 
Um, so he continues his memoir by saying that he was athletic as a child. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I could kick a ball real far. <laughs> he was first pick on the kickball team. Um, he says, oh, I was athletic as a kid, um, but I was a bit accident prone as well. And it's like, you can't really have it both ways. Like, were you athletic or were you clumsy? Um, so he says he sometimes got himself into situations that only the Virgin Mary could get him out of. <laughs> um, so he describes one of these situations, um, and it might sound familiar. Um, he says that one day he was out with his friends and they were swimming across a river when he got tired and started drifting downstream. Um, and as he was drifting, uh, he was approaching the mill um, and he realized that the mill wheel was going to crush him. He was going to be sucked under and it was just going to grind his bones to dust. So he said a prayer to Mary and he went under the mill wheel and he came out the other side unharmed. Um, very similar to a story we heard in episode 35 about the childhood of St. Thomas Beckett of England almost shot for shot I mean I believe that this has happened to more than one person like more than one person has been like sucked under a mill wheel and somehow survived um, but I just think it's interesting because he was probably familiar with the hagiography of St. Thomas Beckett um, who was a very well-known saint so when I read that I wondered if he was is this guy trying to write his own hagiography um because he does call it a miracle in the text um and very funny to me that he's like I was swimming and I got tired so I just left it up to Mary <laughs> and what do you know she came through <laughs> miracle um so yeah my suspicions about him trying to write his own hagiography were quickly confirmed um because he goes on to mention another miracle that happened to him in childhood that's funny um, so this one goes, uh, one Pentecost Sunday, he and his family went to the annual town horse race. I guess that's what you do on Pentecost <laughs> in the Holy Roman Empire. Not sure why. Um, so they go to the horse race and in the chaos of, you know, the crowd, people like jostling each other to get a better view, Athanasius actually got shoved out onto the racetrack. <laughs> Um, where the horses were going by so he just laid down on the ground and curled up into a little ball and everyone thought oh there's no way he'll survive he's going to be trampled um, but when the dust cleared he stood up unharmed um, and he says quote not small was the power of the one who rescued Jonah from the belly of the whale and Tobias from the devouring of the fish, and Daniel from the lions, and who kept me safe from the stamping of the horses. So, um, is God protecting him, or is God trying to kill him, is kind of like the, it kind of sums up his whole life story, because he has lots more um, near-death experiences, <laughs> which I personally find absolutely hilarious. Um, when Athanasius was 10 years old, he was enrolled at the Jesuit school in Fulda. He writes that he had a favorite teacher at that school who concerned, 
quote, concerned himself with this one thing, that to my passion for books, I add a passion for piety. He says that his long chats with this priest talking about the lives of the saints made him long to become a saint himself. He then goes on to relate a story about how God saved him from death a third time in his youth. Um, He says that one day in his teenage years, um, he left school with some friends to go see a play in a town that was about two days journey away. After the play, he came home by himself, um, first mistake, um, and immediately got lost in the woods. <laughs> so he says um, he decided to climb a tree um, to get a better view of his surroundings. Um, that didn't work. So he just decided to sleep in the tree that night. Um, the next morning, he wandered for hours and hours and hours until he finally came out of the woods the same way he had gone in. He found some peasants and paid them a bunch of money to lead him home. And he considers that the third miracle that has happened to him. (laughs) Men asking for directions. Miracle. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, not wrong. The fact that he asked for directions was the miracle itself. Yeah, so he literally got lost in the woods and he's like, oh my God, miracle. <laughs> um, so he says that this trinity, he calls it a trinity of miracles, made him, quote, wholly devoted to attaining a purpose in life and forfeiting things worldly. So he set out to become a Jesuit priest. Um, as we know, the order is pretty selective and intense. Um, So for Athanasius, who had just completed his secondary studies at age 16, this meant two years of novitiate training, followed by three years of philosophy, then five years of teaching, and finally four more years of theology. The good news is that he was accepted to start this course of study. The bad news is that he almost died again before he could start. (laughs) This time he tried to ice skate and gave himself a hernia. <laughs> That's our boy. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I went roller skating and ran over my own hands? How did you even possibly manage that? That's not a thing that happens. <laughs> so I fell, I busted my ass, and whenever yeah. I planted my hands on the ground to get myself. <laughs> I ran over my hands. Wait, like physically how? Hands on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Feet underneath you. Yeah. Fell again. Ran over <laughs> <my hands. laughs> oh no. <laughs> See, there are some people who can do things like roller skating, ice skating, and there are some who maybe shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of them. So yeah, I get the hernia. <laughs> really. At least you didn't get a hernia. Um, but yeah, so he he gave himself a hernia. Um, he also writes that he had scabies at the time um, that were really fucking up his legs. 
based on his description, they probably weren't actual scabies because those are like mites that burrow in your skin. But what he had sounds more like chillblains or um, ulcers from exposure to extreme cold. <laughs> Maybe when he was just like laying face down on the ice <laughs> while his classmates laughed at him, probably. Um, so but because he was desperate to become a priest and to start all of his studies, he hid all of these things from his teachers because he knew that he would be disqualified if they knew about all his <laughs> weird shit going on. Um, because Jesuits wanted strong, healthy men that they could ship off to China and New France willy-nilly. They could um, die. <laughs> right. So no pussies allowed. Um, <laughs> they also didn't want anyone too ugly um, because it would make their order look bad so like what if they sent some like crusty looking like neck beard guy to the new world the indigenous the indigenous people would think he was like some weird like cursed monster <laughs> so, like not Jesuits a good look are very picky <laughs> exactly you gotta yeah. be strong you gotta be hot you gotta be smart oh yeah big time all of the above. Um, so anyway, Athanasius's hernia and quote-unquote scabies are worsening day by day, but he's concealing them and preparing to enter the novitiate at Paderborn, which is about 200 kilometers north of Fulda. In the meantime, the Thirty Years' War is a Bruin on the horizon, beginning with the defenestration of Prague on May 23rd, 1618, in which four Catholic lords were thrown out of the window of a Prague castle by Protestant lords after, this is an oversimplification, but basically after refusing to uphold the agreement reached in the 1555 Peace of Augsburg, which said, whoever's realm his religion. Um, so the Peace of Augsburg had given Protestant lords the right to make their realms Protestant instead of Catholic. Um, so after this defenestration, both sides immediately prepared for war. And for anyone who doesn't know what defenestration is, it's throwing somebody out a window. Oh, yeah, I thought that was clear. <laughs> yes, it's, it's one of my favorite words. It's such a good word. So good. Um, what could be better? Um... So by the time Athanasius gets to <laughs> Potterborn, his legs are so bad that he can't walk. Um, so he's forced to reveal his illness to his superiors there. And they're like, what the fuck, dude? That's fucking disgusting. They're like, we kind of figured out you're stumbling all over the place. We knew something was up. I mean, you literally couldn't walk. So like, this <laughs> makes sense. Um, they call a surgeon and the surgeon says that gangrene has set in and that it's incurable. Shut Meanwhile, <laughs> right. Meanwhile, he's still concerning, or he's still concealing his hernia, because um, priorities. Um, the superiors tell him if he's not all better within the month, he's out of school. He's fully kicked out. So that night, all alone, he prayed at the foot of a statue of the Virgin Mary, and the next morning, he woke up and he was healed legs, hernia, the whole shebang. So thanks to Mary, he is ready to tackle the spiritual boot camp that is the Jesuit novitiate. And it really is like boot camp, um, especially for the first few weeks. 
So back when I talked about St. Ignatius in episode 33, I talked about his spiritual exercises and how they had become the model for intense uh, religious retreats. This novitiate is like a spiritual retreat on crack, or what did we say last time? On opium. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Athanasius and his fellow students are led through these intense, um, kind of like guided meditations, essentially, where it's dark in the room, they can't see anything, and they're instructed to imagine the depths of hell and all the torture going on there. They're told to relive their worst sins over and over again, just sort of sitting in that guilt and shame for weeks. They don't speak unless it's praying or chanting. And so because these men are feeling this intense shame, um, they start to starve themselves, wear hair shirts, whip themselves the whole nine yards. So that sounds awful. Um, but after sort of descending into the depths of hell for about two weeks, they start to emerge and the talks by the superiors become more positive stuff like um, imagine yourself in Jesus's place at the crucifixion. Um, I guess that's not like super positive, but it's better than like you are burning in hell forever. This feels like the foundations of PTSD. <laughs> well, it's cult brainwashing. Yeah, um... that's for sure. It'll same exact tactics bit. for sure yes it um, reminded me a little bit of like charles manson for a second there of like sit there and imagine this in a room by yourself while you so having been starving for a few days being lightheaded mm -hmm. in that weird like hallucinatory stage of starvation where it's like you're not in danger of death yet but things are getting a little hairy um, yeah. in your brain um, but so little by little they come back to light you know candles at first and then the windows are open and then it's fully lit and everything um, and hopefully these novitiates emerge from this experience free of their attachments to the material world that's the point of these types of things which again very cult-like so after this experience, Athanasius is confident that he has done this, that he no longer has any desire for fame or fortune. We'll be the judge of that. <laughs> he also says that he got through his two-year novitiate with his humility intact by pretending to be stupid. He says he concealed the great gift of his intellect um, because he thought that would make God happy. Um, there was no intellect to hide. <laughs> and that was the secret. That's a theory. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, based on like what he later does, I think there was a little intellect, but um, not as much as he was boasting. Not as much as he thought he had, probably. I would say. Um, so he then moved on to his three-year philosophy term, but he only got a few months into it when along came a, a guy named Prince Christian of Brunswick. He was a Protestant Prince Bishop of Halberstad, um, often called the Insane Bishop or the Mad Bishop. Um, great news. <laughs> he referred he to him- chill. <laughs> He sounds super chill. <laughs> Um, he referred to himself as God's friend, the priest's foe, and also the supreme hater of Jesuits. 
And he had gathered an army of 10,000 to fight in the Thirty Years' War, and he was quickly advancing toward Potterborn. The insane bishop's approach apparently emboldened the Protestant townspeople who formed an angry mob outside the Jesuit college. When one of the superiors went out to try and reason with the mob, the um, someone threw a burning torch at him. So he's like, okay, <laughs> so that concludes negotiations. <laughs> um, and he was beaten and dragged away never to be seen from again. <laughs> um, inside the college, the priests and students were disguising themselves in civilian clothes and preparing to sneak out that night in small groups. Athanasius snuck out with three friends and made it through the town gates. The bishop's men pillaged the town and the bishop himself would later brag that he had fathered enough young dukes in that town to last a generation. Yeah. Um, so Athanasius and his friends had to stay off the roads, so they hiked for four days through the heavy snow when they finally came to the frozen Rhine. Athanasius, of course, was first across the river, and of course, he fucking fell in. <laughs> <laughs> um, him and, like, look, buddy, like, you and frozen bodies of water do not mix um surprise he survived again and surprise surprise he considered it another miracle it's like no you just get yourself in awful situations and like luckily managed to get yourself out of them um finally he arrived in cologne and continued his philosophy studies at the college there at the end of those studies he was appointed a professor in oh fuck forgot to look this up Heiligenstad, I think, um, which was about 300 kilometers from Cologne. So he is dragging ass all over the Holy Roman Empire at this point. Um, the road to Heiligenstad went through his hometown. Both his parents had died since he'd left, but he did visit three of his sisters who still lived there, Agnes, Eva, and Anna Katerina. His sisters warned him that the rest of the journey would be through hostile Protestant territory and that he should wear secular clothing, but he refused, saying that he would rather die in his black cassock. Turns out he should have listened to his sisters because he was indeed attacked by a band of Protestant horsemen after leaving Fulda. While walking through a ravine, he was ambushed, robbed, stripped naked, and beaten. The men then prepared to hang him from a nearby tree. He says that he prayed fervently and aloud to God, Jesus, Mary, and the saints, and that the men were so moved by his prayer that they spared him. He says that he thanked God for saving his life, but that he was actually a little bit disappointed not to have died a martyr's death. Um, nevertheless, with a spring in his step, <laughs> he carried on. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that whole interaction. I don't know if it's true. Obviously, he would be the only yeah. witness. It's very weird that he's like, they were just so moved that they decided not to murder me. I was just so good at prayer. That's I was just giving, the best at prayer. It's giving, like, it's giving propaganda. Mm -hmm. Hagiography. But, like, you don't get to write your own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> although the whole time i'm just imagining him naked <laughs> <laughs> naked 
I mean, I guess. But they... with his socks on. <laughs> <laughs> but with his socks on. Yeah. His super high like compression socks. Yeah, on the side of the road. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, picture of him. I guess it's possible that he was just like instead of like praying and stuff he was like really pathetic and like begged for his life to be spared and they were like "Ooh, <laughs> actually you're so pathetic that <laughs> I don't even feel like killing you anymore I like that he <laughs> faked a heart attack <laughs> he just like, there look, until they left. oh no my old hernia wound <laughs> my bad heart (laughs) (laughs) my scabies (laughs) oh my god they're like oh geez never mind like you did on the racetrack and just waited for Mm -hmm. the dust to clear exactly i mean it worked before why not try again Mm -hmm. um so yeah whatever the fuck that was about um he taught in heiligenstad for i think four years um greek latin hebrew and mathematics he also built a sundial on the roof of the college which i'm sure nobody asked for (laughs) um and he built several mechanical devices like a moving scenery and firework show for a visiting archbishop um he was accused of demonic magic for this, um, which he actually took as a bit of a compliment that he had created something that other people thought was magic. And he cleared the situation up with the archbishop. So no harm, no foul there. He got kind of lucky. Um, in 1628, he was finally ordained a priest and he went to teach in Wurzburg, where he developed an interest in Egyptian hieroglyphics. And then in 1631, he writes that one night he had a vision of bright light and armed men on horses invading the city. The vision came true shortly after. Würzburg was attacked and captured by King Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden, which put an end to the Würzburg witch trials. So I think it's interesting that Athanasius has been close to two of Germany's four largest trials, like half of the... (laughs) trials um and i think it says a lot about how this age of discovery age of enlightenment and age of education was clashing with the wars of religion um and so like i don't know we we've said this a lot on the show but it gets me every time like how we think of a witch hunt being so primitive but actually they go hand in hand with scientific progress Mm-hmm. it's the flip side of that progress um anyway because athanasius had predicted this attack he was accorded respect and people assumed that he had predicted it using astrology but he writes that he didn't use astrology he just had a vision from god um either way the invasion meant that he had to pick up and move once again <laughs> this time he went to the papal university of avignon Somehow in the same year, he also managed to publish his first book called The Ars Magnesia, which which was about his research on magnetism. In the book, he hypothesized that some of the miracles in the Bible could be explained by magnetism, such as Jesus and Peter walking on water. He also shows his fascination for volcanoes, um, specifically Mount Vesuvius, which will come up again. 
1633, he moved again. This time he was called to Vienna by the emperor to serve as mathematician, mathematician, um, for the Habsburg court. He was supposed to replace Johannes Kepler. Um, I forget what episode that was, but it's uh, all connected. One of the very early ones. Yeah, because his mom, Katerina, was executed for witchcraft. Um, so he was going to replace Kepler at that court, and he started out on his merry way from Avignon to Vienna. But in the meantime, the Habsburgs um, rescinded their offer. Um, <laughs> I forgot to write down why, and now I don't remember why, but either way, um, he didn't find out until he was already on his way, which is embarrassing. <laughs> but he was sort of redirected to Rome instead. On his way to Rome, of course, his ship blew off course. Um, this type of stuff just seems to happen to this man. Um, he got there eventually, um, a few months late, I believe. He would live in Rome for the rest of his life, and beginning in 1634, he taught math, physics, and oriental languages at the Collegio Romano for a few years before he was released from teaching to focus on his research. So what was this fucking weirdo up to? Well, he studied diseases like malaria and plague. He was one of the first to look at plague victims' blood under a microscope. He also built himself he's a like, little- this is blood. That's for sure. <laughs> this is real bloody. Yeah, I don't know, man. Looks looks a lot like blood to me. <laughs> and they were like, you're hired. <laughs> you're the new director of the hospital. <laughs> um, he also built himself uh, something called a Wunderkammer, or a cabinet of curiosities. Um, this was sort of a growing collection of cool shit um, that eventually expanded into his own museum called the Museum Kircheranium. Kircherianum, sorry. It's considered the first museum in the world. If you were to visit that museum in the 17th century, you would see things like vomiting statues of an eagle and a lobster meant to show the principles of hydraulics. Um, you would see snake stones from India meant to draw snake venom out of a bite wound. Bones Athanasius claimed were from an extinct race of giants. Um, these were later discovered to be mastodon bones, so he really wasn't that far off. Um, there was also a series of mirrors that produced the optical illusion of ghosts in the room. Um, and many other artifacts brought to Rome by Jesuits from all over the world, as well as paintings and books donated by wealthy Roman citizens. Um, and of course, Athanasius's own inventions and devices, like, for example, his miraculous sunflower clock that was said to run on the power of a single sunflower seed stuck to a floating cork that moved with the sun's positions. Not sure why he felt the need to... <laughs> build something like that. Um, he also built and displayed a hydraulic organ that played itself with the use of water and a speaking horn that was essentially just a giant megaphone. Um, in 1661, he discovered the ruins of a church that was said to have been built by Constantine on the site where St. Eustace once had a vision 
Athanasius raised money to pay for the church's reconstruction, and his heart was later buried in the church after his death. Um, he published nearly 40 huge books throughout his life. The topics he wrote about varied widely, like I said. Um, seems weird to us in our highly specialized modern society, but his personal belief was that there actually were no boundaries between these different subjects. Everything in the universe was connected. Um, his book on magnetism, for example, also discussed gravity and love because all of these things are types of attraction. Um, and we see stuff like this today, particularly in sort of new age contexts, um, the law of attraction, the golden ratio, astrology, all of that stuff. Um, like we mentioned last time, as above, so below. Um, Athanasius was very much into those sorts of thinking. Um, all things are delicately interconnected, that type of thing. Um, his books were written in Latin, and they were widely circulated in the 17th century. Unfortunately, most of the content of his books was scientifically wrong. Um, he is not considered to have made any significant original contributions to science. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> um, but it seems like he sure had fun trying to know everything. I think that was the real goal of his life. The inscription on his book, The Great Art of Knowledge, reads, nothing is more beautiful than to know all. And he did know quite a bit, even if most of it was wrong. He was the most famous Egyptologist of his day. He, he published four volumes of translation of hieroglyphs. Unfortunately, none of them even remotely came close to being accurate. <laughs> but they wouldn't find that out till after he died. So who cares? Um, and his, like I'm just going to make it up and no one will know the difference. <laughs> Literally no one will know. That's kind of what I was wondering. Did he know he was a bullshitter or did he actually like think that he had gotten to the truth? Either way, it's funny to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but one kind of casts him as more of a villain. Um, so it's just, dumb. <laughs> yeah. I think he was many times as he fell down and hurt himself. <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he thought he was a lot smarter than he actually was. Just mm, had... he thought he was God's favorite, and God was trying to smack him down. <laughs> every Literally all the time. He's like, <laughs> yeah. "Nope, you're too confident." Whack, and he's like, "Oh, God saved me!" Like, "Oh, Jesus." God sends him into the woods and he gets himself back out. <laughs> God loves me so much. He got me back home. Now, God sent you into the woods and tried to get you eaten by a bear. <laughs> tried to kill your ass. Yeah. It's like that one tweet where the person's like, I've been in nine car accidents and I've survived. Like, you can't tell me God doesn't have a plan for my life. It's like, bro, it sounds like he's trying to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so all his hieroglyph stuff was wrong, but the data that he collected in his research was apparently helpful in decoding the Rosetta Stone when it was found about a century later. So like he did help a little with that. Um, he also had an interest in China. When he was still a student, he had asked his superior if he could go on a mission there, but he never actually got to go. Um, but of course, that didn't stop him from publishing multiple books on China, even though he had never been there and knew like next to nothing about it. 
Um, most of the information came from his fellow Jesuits who were on mission there, but he also compared Chinese characters to hieroglyphs. Of course, there was no comparison like, to be made. It's not English. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as it goes. The end. <laughs> XOXO. <laughs> yeah, boy. Um... So he did also write religious texts, including one about his research on Noah's Ark and what it literally would have been like aboard the Ark, including the daily feeding schedule of the carnivorous animals and what caring for the different species would have included, which I thought was very cute. Um, geology was sort of his first love, and while he was in Rome, he heard that Mount Vesuvius in southern Italy was about to erupt, so he trotted on down there and actually got himself lowered into the actual active volcano crater, like a crazy person. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm imagining he would have had so much fun at, like, judging science fairs with all, like, the oh baking soda and vinegar volcanoes. Oh my it god he would have loved like the present day yes he would have been just over the fucking moon judging a middle school science fair competition Him as like an eighth grade science teacher he would have mm -hmm. been like your favorite oh he would have been the teacher. best yes such a weirdo don't really want to spend one-on-one -on -one time with him but makes you excited to go to class for sure yeah yeah so in terms of uh, biology, he argued that after the flood, new species of animals were transformed as they moved um, like off the ark and went to their different environments. So when a deer moved north, it eventually became a reindeer. Sounds stupid to us, um, but was a pretty radical step toward what would later become the theory of evolution, the idea that um animals transform without being created that way mm -hmm. um that was radical so in terms of medicine um like i mentioned before he studied the blood of plague victims under a microscope and noted the presence of what he called little worms or animalcules in the blood and concluded that the disease was caused by microorganisms. This was one time he actually was correct. Um, he was also correct in his hypothesis that good hygienic practices like quarantine, burning used linens, and wearing face masks would stop the spread of the plague. In terms of technology, he published a book on displaying images on a screen using a lamp and a reflective source in a darkened room. So first uh, movie projector. He was careful to warn his readers that anyone who used this type of projection should inform their spectators that the images they would see were not magical. <laughs> um, he also constructed a magnetic clock it wasn't the first one that had been made, but the previous one, um, the previous magnetic clock claimed that the motion proved the Copernican um, cosmological model, and Athanasius's clock disproved that. In his books on music theory, he hypothesized that the harmony of music reflected the proportions of the universe. 
Um, they included his plans for the hydraulic organ, as well as notations of birdsong and diagrams of musical instruments. He also hypothesized the possibility of transmitting music to faraway places. He has notations of birdsong? Yeah. It would be really fascinating to see if it's changed at all over a couple hundred years. Or what the birds, like if the birdsong in Germany or Rome. Is different then it, it would be here mm. that's yeah. interesting i'm glad people did weird shit like that and that we still have access to it like i said be the weird boring person with weird niche interests because mm-hmm. it'll be cool later or even just keep a normal diary of your normal life mm-hmm. of course i'm not gonna do that but like somebody should my I will live on through if I ever manage to publish anything I ever write um not through any diary that I have because I can't do it me watching law and order SVU every single day (laughs) as I eat a tub of ice cream (laughs) well but people in 500 years might not know what ice cream is and you could provide like the recipe for ice cream that like changes their future lives perhaps you never know um so overall he contributed quite a bit of scientific research most of it was wrong or impossible but some of it was proven correct and he was the first scholar with a global reputation his works for were extremely popular and he actually made a living out of publishing them which was not common for a scientist of the day However, towards the end of his life, the rationalist school of philosophy was taking hold with philosophers like Descartes, so Athanasius's sort of mystical naturalism was falling out of fashion. Some say that's why he wrote his autobiography in his 70s, because he realized, oh, I'm kind of out of the loop. People are forgetting about me. Let me tell you about the time I got a hernia um, and the Virgin Mary cured it. Um, And he was pretty much forgotten about until the late 20th century. Today, his works are most commonly revisited for their aesthetic quality instead of their actual content, um, because he does have all these beautiful illustrations um, and like weird and creepy stuff all over the place. It's just very cool to look at. Um, The contents of his museum were dissolved and distributed in the 1870s after the unification of Italy, but many of the artifacts are still sort of floating around Rome in various different museums there. And then I wanted to end with two quotes from the biography that I liked. The author wrote that, quote, when Kircher was born, almost everyone assumed the earth was, was at the center of the universe. At the time of his death, almost every educated man willing to be honest with himself understood that it wasn't. Um, I liked that. I thought it showed how much uh, scientific progress he lived through. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the last sentence of the biography, um, he writes that Kircher should be acknowledged, quote, for his effort to know everything and to share everything he knew for asking a thousand questions about the world around him and for getting so many others to ask questions about his answers, for stimulating as well as confounding and and inadvertently amusing so many minds, for having been a source of so many ideas, right, wrong, half right, half baked, ridiculous, beautiful, and all encompassing. That is the story of Athanasius Kircher. (laughs) 
He's a cool dude. I think so too. I think he would have gotten along with somebody like um, Eliphas Levy. For sure. They would have been buddies 100%. Because he's not preachy. No. But I mean, you have these two like religious dudes who are very much into like magical stuff, but like scientific stuff at the same Mm -hmm. time. Um, Very into writing while like political stuff is going on. Um, in their homes yeah I don't think that Athanasius would have met someone like like Eliphas and been like oh he's he's a he's a heretic he's a whatever I don't think he would have judged him harshly I think that he would have been very interested in someone who started off very religious like him but is now going down a different path I think that would have been interesting to him and they would have had like long talks (laughs) I hope (laughs) what a fucking weirdo he was (laughs) his freaking hernias and his weird legs (laughs) yeah Jesuits being like so picky about like who's allowed to be a Jesuit it's like you guys are Mm -hmm. a bunch of like weird nerds and you have all these specifications they're super nerds but they want to be hot nerds hot strong nerds Mm -hmm. um I have mixed feelings about the Jesuits me too I mean (laughs) I think that's that's correct to have mixed feelings about them Mm mm-hmm Because there'll be a story where I like them and then a story where I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but like, I love to be like along for the ride on their adventures. because they're never not interesting. Yes, even when they're doing awful things, they're They're interesting. interesting. Even when they're in, like my favorite is when they're in like way over their heads. (laughs) Like, Like in New France yeah and they're like we could leave or we could just keep doing what we're doing they're like let's just keep doing what we're doing and then they all died it's like yeah obviously and then they diarrhea themselves to death and they wrote about it extensively yep we know way too much about Jacques Marquette's bloody diarrhea. You're not a Jesuit unless you extensively <laughs> make note of your diarrhea. Right. All your bodily functions <laughs> must be preserved for posterity. <laughs> I hope they teach that in Jesuit college. Mm. Yeah. It's a whole class you have to take. Right. No detail is too small. Or too disgusting for Bird your readers. Song and diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you ask for? <laughs> That's really just the it's the two um it's the duality of, of life. life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some days there's birdsong, other days there's diarrhea. Some days there's both. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> And on that note, yes. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to post some weird uh, pictures of um, probably the giant megaphone and uh, some other weird shit that he drew in his journals. 
I'll post some photos of the people who killed a lot of people so you can, um, I don't know, shame them for being ugly, I guess. Yeah. They are pretty ugly. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so as you know, we have moved to a monthly schedule, so our next episode will be the first Thursday of August. And uh, feel free to get in contact with us if you have a recommendation or any questions. Um, yeah, um, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have an email account. It's all in the episode description. And we will see you next time. Thanks be to God. Blessed be.